a lot of women tend to get into that role. And one of the reasons being is unconsciously when we're in that role, we're needed. Mm -hmm. And it helps us also to feel like the sense of love that we're doing something for somebody else Mm -hmm. and that they will stick around and want us. But at the same time, it can be really disempowering as well. And we can lose a lot of our sense of identity. Midlife ladies. This is the Dear Midlife Podcast. Unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic. So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. So this episode turned into a little mini therapy session for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, you know, I find it really actually fascinating and interesting to dig into your personal relationship with your ex, because I personally never really knew a whole lot about your relationship and you just don't really discuss it all that often. So I think it was the perfect case study in this instance to unpack the lessons that Carla shared with us around attachment styles. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, it's part of my art form to keep things close to the chest mm-hmm. sometimes. And it feels good when you can get it out. Yeah. So our guest today, Carla Cravaro, she helped me to get a lot of this out. She's so insightful as a trauma-informed and certified sex, love, and relationship coach. And Carla works with men and women, well, and apparently podcast hosts, (laughs) to help all of us understand ourselves, understand one another sexually and relationally. Yeah. And she really, honestly, it was amazing how she used some really critical questions to help you connect with your emotions and tune in to your own behaviors and really get curious about them. Mm -hmm. And that's how she helps the rest of her clients learn to trust themselves. That was really amazing to watch. Absolutely. It was so powerful for me. And to our listener out there, girl, you who relates to my story, I need you to leave us a review. I need you to let us know what you think. And then I need you to let us know what your attachment style is. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your voice because you matter to us. And now, without further ado, let's jump on in to today's episode with Carla Cravaro. Ladies in the middle, we've spent a lot of time over the last, I don't know how many weeks, talking about relationships and narcissism and things that we've had to heal from in our childhood, our big T's, our little T's, And today we're going to take just a slightly different lens on a similar topic, yet thinking about it in terms of our own attachment styles and how they have shown up and impacted our lives in various ways. You know, I don't talk a lot about, I always call him my first husband even though I've not yet been married, nor am I in a relationship, as all of you know. (laughs) Apparently, this is how I'm so hell-bent on manifesting my second husband that um, (laughs) we'll talk about my first husband, my first marriage. It's interesting to have been with somebody over 20 years to realize that the entire time they were emotionally unavailable. Hmm. We bought one house together. We built two more houses together. We had a son. We got married. We did all of the things that traditionally emotionally available and in love people do for me to find out that in truth, he was emotionally unavailable to me throughout this entire relationship, which is why I spent 20 years of my life chasing a man that I was actually married to and trying to close this gap Mm -hmm. without ever really understanding this fight that I was in, this fight that I was in by myself in this relationship to somebody that was so detached from it that he never even really cared to put in the 
the work. And the day that I realized this, you know, as you guys all can tell, I'm pretty forthcoming. I'm upfront. Really? I, I say it like, yeah, yes. If I don't like something, <laughs> you're going to know, right? I'm not going to be a bitch about it. And even with him, I was never really a bitch about it. But it was always, here is what I need. And here is what is impacting me. And here is what I need this to look like. And he would give me the song. He would give me the dance. And eventually he said, you know what? I just don't think I can be these things for you. I don't think that I can do that for you. And they were very common things. Like, I would rather hear you tell me that I'm beautiful instead of strangers on the street telling me that I'm beautiful. I would rather hear from you what you love about our relationship than other people telling me about how great our personal relationship is. These are things I need from you as my husband. And he realized at some point that he was not emotionally available enough to provide that to me. And so today, our guest, Carla Cravaro, who is a certified sex, love, and relationship coach, is going to work with us and talk us through some of these challenges that we face when we continue to live in this space, seeking out, and sometimes even getting into full-on fucking 20-year relationships with Mm -hmm. emotionally unavailable people, how to work through that how to heal from that and how to shift our mindset so that we can begin to live much fuller lives in all of our relationships. So let's welcome Carla to the show. Hi, Carla. Hi, Carla. Hi, Trinity. Thank you for the introduction. Hi, Shelby. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Yes, we are so, so happy you're here. Thank you. I absolutely loved your story. As I was listening, I was just like, Oh my goodness me, like so much stuff was coming up for me. Um, yeah, having worked through my own attachment style, which, you know, is anxiously attached to like a more consciously secure attached style now, because I personally don't believe that you're ever fully, fully secure. Um, mm. You know, there's always going to be certain elements of things that come up and show up for you. But I just think you become a lot more aware of it and a lot more able to manage and support your own nervous system. So yeah, as you were speaking then, I was just like, Oh my God, it gave me all of the feels, you know, that you, yeah, that we, those of us that experience that sort of anxious attachment where we're looking for this need for somebody to recognize us, to see us, to validate us. Yes. Um, and they don't do it. And we constantly chase that. And as painful as it can be, it actually feels really safe as well because it's what we've always known. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I know that you guys talk a lot about, you know, childhood and how that affects you and, you know, traumas. And, you know, I think for most of us, these are small T traumas, nothing like, you know, as serious as like sexual abuse or anything like that. But it's just the the constant needing to chase because a parent hasn't always Mm. been meeting our needs in the way that we wanted to or they would pull back. And yeah. So hearing your story, then it was like, oh, my goodness me, this feels extremely (laughs) familiar. (laughs) Yeah. And it's the weirdest part of it all is that you just don't think that you are with somebody who is emotionally unavailable when you are married to them and doing all of the things. Right. And for me, I have a big personality. My personality fills up the room when I walk into any space and yet and still being so seen in all of the areas Mm. of my life it was, it's very strange to me looking back that I spent so much time being so unseen in my marriage and that somehow I accepted that Mm. as okay. I accepted that as, I don't think I ever thought it was normal, but, but obviously I accepted it. So I'll I'll just put the period on the sentence there. And maybe that's a place we can dig in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, I think often as well, you know, we tend to think that nothing's going to be perfect because it it isn't going to be perfect if we're really Mm. honest, even, you know, the most perfect relationship isn't going to be. And I think sometimes we can say, okay, it's not going to be perfect. I'll accept it for what it is. When sometimes I think we can end up really lowering our standards for ourselves because it can depend as well quite a lot on our own sense of self-worth and you know I think a lot of us tend to get into these relationships because our self-worth is quite mm-hmm. low already and our self-esteem and it's like you know the fact that somebody is showing up just to be married to me mm-hmm. is enough you know okay they might not 
tick all the boxes and meet certain needs that actually are quite important to me for for my own well-being and for co-regulation as well. Um, but the fact that they have chosen me and, and married me, you know, that's that's enough. And I think a lot of people can settle for that because they think if I leave that situation, I'm not going to be able to find something either the same or even better. And that comes quite often yeah. down to how we see and view ourselves. Yeah. And it's funny because I don't know where the hell that would have come from. Right. I consider myself to have high self-esteem and all of that. But but I do see this pattern. I see this pattern of actually continuing to seek out emotionally unavailable men, sometimes physically unavailable men. So there's something there. There's something there. And and I don't know what it is. I don't know where in the world that would come from. I'm wondering, um, Trinity, so when you um, initially make contact with a new man and you, you know, begin like the initial conversations and the initial dating, how do you, you know, behave in front of them? So are you somebody that remains completely true to you or do you tend to sort of like adapt slightly to maybe make sure that they like you? So maybe your boundaries might become a little bit porous because yeah. well I'll just let that go because I don't want to look like I'm being too difficult or I'm being too mm-hmm. much hard work or I'm being you know somebody who's high maintenance I don't want to look like that so I'm just going to let that boundary slide even though that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable or do you do like sort of behaviors where you know I really enjoy doing this activity but I you know I think this person's really great so you know I'll do that activity even though it doesn't really interest me and I'll go with that because that's what's important to them. So do any of those sort of behaviors sound familiar to you? I'm going to throw you for a loop right now because here's what I think I do. I actually somehow feel like my personality gets bigger, which I know is hard to believe that that's even a possibility, quite <laughs> frankly. I was sitting here thinking. I know you're like, what in the name of God does that look like? But, um, you know, I can see why you might do that, too. Why? Because it's like a test, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're testing. Uh, well, you know, I have a big personality, so I'm just going to be as big as I possibly can and see if you run because I know you're going to run because that is what your narrative and your story in your head is telling you. I can see that. That I it's can see. almost an intentional scaring off. If yeah. you will, I don't want to, I don't know quite how to say it, but it's like, I'm going to be as big as I possibly can, because I know you're not going to stick around. It's yeah. like you're, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. I wonder what is your take on it, Carla? Yeah, I think that's a possibility. Also, I think sometimes we can make ourselves bigger and better because we really want to seek approval. Like, look mm. how amazing I am. Look how strong I am you know, Mm -hmm. um, because that can really pull people in and attract them, especially someone who's emotionally unavailable. Mm -hmm. The reason being is if this person is so full of life, they don't need me and I don't want a needy person. So you are, you know, portraying this person who potentially, you know, what, from what you're saying is really, really independent, doesn't need to be, to get too much support because you'll do it all by yourself and look at how amazing you are and you're really, really strong. Um, which is probably true. There are those parts of you, mm-hmm, but there are also sure. parts to every single person where they need a hug and they need that, you know, reassurance and you have difficult days when you're a little bit down and all of that is fine and normal. Yeah. But sometimes we don't want to show those parts of ourselves because we might not get accepted and loved for who we are. And it's showing those parts of ourselves that we feel most shame for or discomfort that that's where we're pulling in a true relationship. Anything that we're trying to prevent from people seeing about us can sometimes be, yeah, a way to protect ourselves from getting hurt because we're saying, no, no, I'm really great. I'm, you know, I'm really big. I'm really happy. I'm really all of these things. And so this person is attracted to this idea of you. And then once you start to unravel a little bit, let's say, and show your authentic self, they're like, oh, hang on a minute. This person needs me. And then they the fact that this person isn't available to be able to be that support, then they detach and hold back. And then that's at the point where you might go, oh my God, I need you because you're backing off. And then, you know, you go 
and, and your nervous system is like, I need to pull you back. I need to get your attention. And there are different types of behaviors that we can, you know, that we can use all unconsciously, of course, to try and pull that person back in. Yeah. You know, and I think I spent so much time using those different tactics to try to pull my first husband back in. Mm. And I, 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 I became exhausted by them, by these tactics it's so much so that they're almost triggers now. And I think at some point I, I quickly mm. turn even to an avoidant attachment mm. style because I refuse on a stack of Bibles and the whole name of Jesus to ever put myself in a position where I am scrambling and fighting for your attention again, because I did that for so mm. many painful years of my life. And I think this is also the thing. So I think a lot of people have this idea that if you have like this anxious attachment style, that you really, really crave intimacy. Mm. And I believe that actually it's a really deep fear of intimacy that you have because when you're constantly Mm. chasing the person saying, no, you're never actually reaching intimacy because Mm. really there's a part of you that's terrified of it. So the moment that somebody, you know, (laughs) shows an element of intimacy, you're like, oh, I need to back off because this is just too frightening. That is you. Um, Wow. Wow. (laughs) So Shelby has seen this pattern in me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, I can probably, yes, I get so many folks or, or men, not folks, you know, because I've never, you know, tried the other way, but so many men um, each in this dating world that have been like, I'll do anything to be with you. I'll do, I'll do this. I'll move here. I'll be, and what do I do? Shelby every single time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Ghost. I run a ghost. You will, you will never hear from me again. Bye. You've never seen me. I go into the witness protection program. Literally, you are not going to find me anywhere. I scrub all the Google, everything. Um, and I do, I literally run for the hills. That's super interesting. And you know, what it's about being is understanding and noticing that pattern and noticing the need to run and noticing if you're able to, and this is, you know, why I was talking about like somatically working with anxious attachment. So somatically means so much Greek for the body. So working with your body. So when you notice this need to run, can you just sit with that for a moment before running and canceling and deleting and calling the witness <laughs> protection program before, before jumping into that pattern that you have created over, you know, years and years and years. Can you just sit with that for a moment and just feel it? Notice what the sensations are that are in your body. You know, this need to, to run. Can you just be with it and just be present with it? Let it pass. And then decide on the next move. And notice any thoughts as well that come up. So just as you're sitting with that discomfort, because it will be uncomfortable, you know, what thoughts are running through your head? I'm really, really paying lots of attention to them. And, you know, if you have the opportunity and it's in the right space, you know, journaling all of these different thoughts and noticing what the theme is that's running throughout, because there's always going to be a theme that you'll be you will be expecting them to be something and you will be convincing yourself not to be with them for a particular reason. And there will be those things in there that you try to convince yourself that they are that you don't actually want. Wow. So yes, I do think that I can do that, you know, and I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful to our podcast, frankly, because we've (laughs) talked with so many incredible people like yourself who have continued to affirm and reiterate the importance mm-hmm. of being ta- being able to sit within the uncomfortable spaces. So I've been practicing that, which normally I'm just like, I'm ghost on that too. Bad, no, thank you. Um, so I'm happy for that. And that's something I'm sure there will be a next time um, that I will be able to work through and sit through. But I love this conversation. Because, well, yes, to Trinity's point, like this podcast has really opened up our eyes to some of our own past history. And so when we talk about attachment styles, which we have done on the show, but I do want to dive into what are attachment styles? What are the origins of them? And we can see now how they show up in our lives as adults. And I'm assuming these traumas that we've experienced in our childhood, not only show up in the way that we form relationships with other people, but they stand in our way of living this 
life that we, we so desperately want. So tell us a little bit about attachment styles and how they show up in our lives and stand in our way. And then we, you know, touched on the idea of somatic healing and at least sitting in the space, but I would love to know, you know, how do we then heal? Mm-hmm. So full attachment styles, you've got the secure attachment, which is where, you know, you um, during your childhood, your parents were quite attuned to your needs. I mean, no one's perfect. So, you know, there would have been elements where they weren't always able to meet your needs, but the, you know, maybe they repaired. Um, so for example, if, if something, there wasn't the specific attunement, then they repaired that by, you know, mm-hmm. um, so apologizing or whatever it might have been. You've got the secure attachment um, then you've got disorganized attachment and that comes from and disorganized is, you know, sometimes you are really rushing towards somebody, then you're pulling back and you're not really sure where you are. And quite often that comes from a childhood where your parents were asking you to do one thing and then all of a sudden turning around and saying, no, you've done it wrong. This isn't the right way. So your body never really felt safe because every time you did something, you were being in inverted commas, corrected by them. Um, so there's a real sense of um, insecurity and in being able to make decisions for yourself and that this is where the push-pull comes from. The ones that I work with mainly are avoidant and anxious. Um, so those are the ones that I know most about and I tend to work with. So the avoidant attached person during their childhood tends to not have had um, that much um intimacy and support and they've been left quite often you know by themselves um to look after themselves the the parents have been quite often emotionally not very very present so they get very used to being independent and independent in inverted commas and the, the the problem is I think for a lot of avoidantly attached people is because you know in our western culture independence is seen as as a really really good thing it can go under the radar and quite often avoidant attached people don't realize that they actually have an issue um, because they're seen as independent and people that can look after themselves and you know don't necessarily need a relationship so yeah so working with an avoidant person they generally when you know they come to me they're not there for the avoidant it's something that shows up when I hear how their mm-hmm. partners are reacting, who tend to be anxiously attached. And I'm noticing how they are behaving to their anxiously attached partner. And it's mm. about bringing awareness to that. So for example, I'll give you a really common example of like an avoidant attached and how they will behave. They're quite protective around their time. Like their time is sort mm. of the most important thing for them or one of. And, you know, quite often what they will do is they will unconsciously create situations where their partner um, is misunderstanding them regarding time. And I'll give you an example. So I had um, a client and she um, was given a task to do a mirroring exercise with her partner. And when she spoke to him about it, she said, let's do it Tuesday. And then Tuesday morning, he approached her and you know, he was like, let's do the mirroring exercise. No, no, no. I always go for my walk on Tuesday mornings. We need to do it later. And he was like, well, I don't have time later. And then they had this really, really big argument. And, you know, further unpicking of the situation, you know, what I was finding was my client was frequently being very, very vague about Mm. when she wanted to do things that her partner would then react to that because he's understood one thing the communication's not been clear because avoidance tend not to want to commit to something so they're when they communicate it's really unclear so then the other person is making assumptions mm-hmm. and then that's where the miscommunication mm-hmm. happens the partner feels wounded because they feel a sense of rejection the avoidant is like oh my god my time is being you know impeded again and I just don't feel that my time is being respected. So, you know, when I held her accountable to that and I said, you know, can you see how you are creating that situation? She was like, oh, yeah. So, Mm. you know, the the task then was to go away and set a specific time and date, you know, for Mm. for doing that exercise to manage his expectations as well um, because it's communication and avoidance really, really do struggle to be very, very clear because of the fear of conflict. And then with regards to um, anxiously attached, what happens in childhood is they will get a flood of attention and then withdrawal. So Mm. it's this not knowing of when your needs are going to be met or when you're going to be seen. 
Um, and so it becomes really normal to the nervous system to receive lots of love, feel really good, and then it be withdrawn and needing to chase it. And that's why, you know, as anxiously attached people grow up, they tend to find or look for people unconsciously, of course, that are unavailable, however that might look. So emotionally unavailable, physically unavailable. Um, and, you know, the inner child part of themselves is really, really looking to heal what they did, what they didn't have in childhood. So they're looking to, in a way, change them. So, you know, if mm-hmm. I keep chasing, eventually they will choose me. But they, but part of them knows that they're not going to be chosen. And it's that constant wanting to be chosen that c- continues to drive them towards chasing the unavailable. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's basically how it flows. So obviously when you have an avoidant and anxiously attached person together, because quite often they are, you get this situation where the avoidant person can be sort of a little bit standoffish. The anxiously attached person will go and, and chase that freaks out the avoidant who withdraws even more feels like their space is being invaded you know right. independence and then that may, means that the anxious attached person chases they yeah. feel huge amounts of shame you know and then they might withdraw or they act out and yeah and so like the cycle continues and it just yeah. becomes really really painful for both until you actually notice it <laughs> until right. you notice it right we've just gotten the definitions here I mean I guess you have to figure out you know, which of these characteristics describe who you are? Is there an assessment that you can take to identify who you are? And then what do you do about it? So now I know that I'm an anxious. Now I know that I'm an avoidant. So how do I navigate that? So if someone comes to me, so on my website, I like talk about anxious attachment because that's what people talk about. Mm. But when I'm working with people, I prefer not to use the label just because sometimes I think when you use labels, you can over-identify with them and and Mm. feel that you're not going to get out of a situation. So I prefer to look at people's patterns of behavior and understanding, you know, and, you know, helping them to realize and understand themselves through the, you know, the process that we go through that, um, that these are patterns that they've created in a way to protect themselves. And the nervous system is used to behaving in that way. And it feels to a certain extent safe because safety in a way is what we've always known, even if it's behavior that can be, you know, a little bit abusive, it can feel normal to us. And anything different to that can really feel foreign. And you probably found this when you've had your conversation around narcissism, that people that have been with a narcissist are very likely to drop back into a relationship with another narcissist, because unconsciously, they're looking for that pattern and that behavior that their nervous system feels really comfortable with, because very likely, one of their parents was a narcissist Mm. as well Mm. um so and it's just that pattern that that continues and it's the same with the attachment styles you know that you are unconsciously looking for that because that's what you know your nervous system feels good with so yeah so when somebody approaches me because generally they will have found me because they're talking about attachment style it's returning to the patterns and I ask them what do they notice about themselves quite often they'll already have an idea of the patterns that they have. Like I always end up in a relationship with men who, um, you know, I'm always paying for everything. And I always end up finding the type of men that don't make an effort on dates. And I'm always the one doing things. And, you know, (laughs) I know that one. (laughs) Like I'm always the one that's making the decision, paying for the date or whatever it might be. And so there's this pattern that they're already aware of themselves, but it's just unpicking that. And looking at that pattern as it is, and then, you know, rediscovering the new patterns that show up. And, you know, once you slow down and you really take note of what's happening with your nervous system when you interact with other human Mm. beings, and also when you start to notice your thoughts. So, you know, when I work with people, the, the initial part of the work that I do is noticing what's happening to your sensation, the sensations in your body and journaling and finding like the core threads, the core wounds that are showing up for you. And then once you start to notice and unpick those elements of yourself, you're it's easier then almost to catch them. So as, as you notice your body starting to behave in a particular way, it's like, oh, this feels familiar. Yeah, this is the bit of when I react in that particular way because I'm looking for yeah, their approval. And, you know, you notice all of a sudden the thoughts start to pop into your head and you're able to then in a way detach from that and just observe the thought, oh, there's that thought that I have, you know, about my fear of being rejected. It's showing up in that way. 
and it becomes easier and you do it sort of a lot more fluidly you know without having to think too much because it's become like almost like a daily practice of awareness yeah you know it's interesting and I've I've told this story to Shelby um in the past I'm almost feeling like there's a different spin on this the more that we're talking so oftentimes when I will go out on a date with somebody very quickly my alpha female will rise up inside of me and I will feel her come to life and kind of take charge. And I think that might be part of this bigger personality thing. And I've, I've always taken her arrival at the party as a, nope, this is not the one for you because we're not going to be able to follow him, submit, like he's not our jam, this guy. We don't want to do the things. And there's a couple of men in particular one, you know, that is at the top of my list that when I am around him, I don't feel that happen at all. Like I feel my feminine side really come to life and I will lean into him and I feel, you know, just like my alpha female does not even need to play a part. But then I'm sitting here now and I've always taken that as a sign. as like, this guy must be good for me versus this guy is not my jam. But I'm wondering, as you've talked about your nervous system being used to certain things being comfortable, is it because potentially he is avoidant or he is unavailable in some way emotionally and that is what's comfortable and that is why I lean in versus run away or say no thank you? I know that you wanted to go down that thread, but I just made some notes as you were talking. I and saw I'm you not making sure. those notes. I was so <laughs> curious as to what you were writing down about me. So there, there, was, there was some words that you said, and I was just like, ooh, that's really interesting. So you like to use the word alpha female. And then you talked about following and then also submitting to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, yeah, how you see your relationship with men generally just because it sounds and it feels like to me from those words that there's an element of competition there like Mm. having to compete in some way like I don't want to have to follow you and I don't want to have a hundred percent there is this competition thing there I can see that very clearly because my first husband used to always ask me why I was competing with him. <laughs> so there's, there's obviously mm. something there. Uh-huh. And, and part of that I think could come from my skewed vision of um, traditional male, female roles that I picked up in when I was in the church um, in my late teenage years into my twenties, it was a very influential time in my life. So I think that's a piece of it as well. I do have this, I, I think it's a skewed vision of traditional male-female roles. And did you see a lot of women submitting and following their husbands and maybe saw that as a weakness? Yeah, yeah. And so there's a sure. fear potentially of, of being that weak woman and sort of really wanting to fight it because you don't want to be that. Yeah, and I don't want to lose myself again. Mm. And this is quite, yeah, common when people have had that experience and that they've seen the roles, you know, this need to sort of really overassert ourselves. And I did that, you know, in my 20s, I would have considered myself like an anti-man feminist. Like, I'm not taking the surname of any man when I get married. I'm desperate to get married. Right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take his name. Look at my shirt. Look at my shirt. Boss lady. Boss lady. I'm wearing, wearing my boss lady shirt today, right? It's a thing. So it's we letting have, everybody know. Yeah, letting everybody know. I'm really, really strong. I'm not going to submit. And, you know, I think what's really great is when we get in relationships is that we can, you know, have that dance where sometimes someone takes care of us. And um, can I ask you in your previous relationship or relationships, did you end up getting into like a mother and son dynamic? So where no. you took on the... So you, you didn't take on the load of the house with like all the mental I did that. load. I yeah. took on, I definitely the breadwinner plus the, um, you know, I took care of, took care of cleaning the house. If anyone was sick, I did all of 
you know, what do you need? All of that stuff. But he was very, very much a, you know, man's man. And you're not going to, you know, put me down or you're not going to, to rule over me. He, he wanted to be the one in charge, even though he had like two, two, two cents, 25 cents on a good day. So, and then it was going to tell me how to spend the money in the household that I made. Oh, dude, you're going to have to step off of that. Mm-mm, no, sir. Mm-hmm. So, so there was very much a role where you were almost like caretaking for him. Yeah, very much so. Very and a much lot of so. women, a lot of women tend to get into that role. And one of the reasons being is unconsciously when we're in that role, we're needed. Um, mm. And it helps us also to feel like the sense of, of love that we're doing something for somebody else mm. and that they will stick around and want us. But at the same time, it can be really um, disempowering as well. And we can lose a lot of a, our sense of identity. And, th- and that's a commitment I've made to myself. I will never take care of a man. I will die old, gray, frail, and alone before I will ever take care of a man in this lifetime again. Mm. And what, what, what if- attachment style is that? <laughs> And what if you allowed yourself to be in a dance whereby you take it in turns to support each other? So you take it in turns to look after somebody and they look after you. What if you surrendered to the possibility that you can have both of those, that you can feel the love and nurturance of looking after somebody else, but also that you can relax and surrender and be and submit in a way that you get to be looked after as well. It's a very scary thought. Um, I can rationalize the beauty of it. Um, but every emotion and nerve in my body right now is firing at 1000. I am about to get up, throw these headphones off and run for the door. But that's so true though. That's how we all, you know, I feel like the, the first step is aha, aha, here's who I am. This is so such a revelation. And I love Trinity, you for sharing your story and thank you for being vulnerable. And Carla, what a testament to your skill is to talk us through what's happening here in, you know, Trinity's own mind and psyche, but then what do we do with it? Right. Okay. So now I know, I know who I am. What do I, and I would love, I would love to have this. I I revel in, I think you said in the, the idea of the beauty, I think you said of, of this idea, but how do I get there? What do I need to do to, let go of past patterns and move forward in a better space and place. Yeah. So as I was saying before, with regards to, you know, being aware of, so, um, you know, Trinity just then was talking about the need to run. So sitting with that, noticing the thoughts, journaling, Mm. but also creating a sense of safety in the body so that we're actually teaching the body what safety really feels like. Because Mm. right now your body is understanding safety as in when X happens, I need to run So, you know, recalibrating our nervous systems in a way that, okay, you know, what does safety, real safety actually feel like? So, um, and the best ways to really ground safety in our body is to um, become almost childlike. So um, I talk about curiosity, joy, and awe and pleasure. So when we have those four elements, we're really bringing an element of safety into our body. So pleasure can be you know, um, really, really enjoying eating something, noticing the different flavors and the different experiences of it um, or self-pleasure, you know. So um, having like a ritual of self-pleasure practice where you are really giving yourself lots of self-love, self-care and nurturing yourself, um, doing things um, to bring joy. So where you feel that sense of um, absolute ecstaticness of, and giddiness and fun and real full enjoyment you know when you see children um, and children are always the best example because mm. children you know you see the pleasure on their faces when they have an ice cream they're like fully immersed mm-hmm. in the experience and then when you see them experiencing joy you know they jump up in the air they laugh really loud you know as adults we tend to sort of refrain ourselves we put our hands in front of our mouths you know um 
So really now allowing ourselves to fully be present in our joy and then having curiosity about the world around us, you know, and again, from like a childlike perspective. So, you know, walking around the town that you live in and looking at it and thinking to yourself, wow, if a foreigner came here, what would they notice that's Mm. probably different? And just getting curious as to how things are different and how um, life is and um, be curious about, you know, the ladybird that's walking along the flower um, and just seeing, you know, what she does or noticing how a cat moves and why it's moving and what direction and what might be happening for that cat in that moment. And then, you know, bringing awe into our, to our worlds can just look like, you know, seeing a sunset and just noticing all the colours and being like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and I've got a really great example of awe, actually. So about three weeks ago, um, I went downstairs and the kitchen was really cold and I noticed the back door open and it was dark. And I was like, what are my children doing? So I've got an eight and a five year old. Mm. And I was like, where are they? Um, and then all of a sudden I saw them lying on the floor with the patio door open and they had like blankets and cushions. And, uh, you know, part of me just wanted to go, what are you doing? The heating, the cost, you know, crisis and all of these things are rushing through my head. And I was just like, paused for a moment. I thought, hang on a minute, what are they actually doing? And I said to them, what are you doing? And they said, we're watching the stars and we're watching the sky change color. And so I was like, oh, my God, that's really, yeah, that's really beautiful. So I got in with them and I, you know, put the covers over and I sat there and, you know, they taught me through what they were seeing and how they were seeing. And I was just like, wow, this is absolutely mm. amazing. And it's being present in those moments. Oh, I love that. You know, yeah, the joy, the pleasure, the curiosity and the awe that we are teaching our nervous system to look for the positive and the good things. And that's where this sense of safety in our nervous system comes in because Mm. we're learning to really tap into that. So, you know, like I was saying, being present with what comes up when your body's reacting to something that your body's triggered, also learning to really sit with and be with and really fully experience, you know, when you feel joy, and you feel it moving through your body, how present you can be with that and hold on to it for as, for as long as you can. Yeah. So rather than just like feeling that joy and then it goes, how long can you hold on to it for? When you've had that experience of all, you know, seeing the sky change color as the sun comes up, how long can you hold on to that for? When you smell coffee first thing in the morning, rather uh. than just noticing that the smell of coffee, really, you know, sitting with that and just feeling how your body feels, noticing that, that you know, aroma, And really, really just being so present to how that feels. And oh my goodness, this just feels great. And I'm so grateful. And your body then just automatically relaxes more and feels more um, in that sense of safety. And it means that when also you have periods of being triggered, you are, it's easier then for your body to come back to those places of safety because you have, you know, wired them almost that you know what it feels like. So you can bring yourself back to that when you need to. Wow. That's so incredible. Um, (laughs) there's so many, so many pictures that you painted there that were very vivid, but somehow through that, I came to a realization, Carla, and this is, yeah, this one is really powerful for me. So my mother was in an abusive relationship and he had said to her, if you ever leave me, I will hunt you down and I will find you. I will kill you and I will take the girls. And so what did we do as three girls, my mom, my sister, and I ran, we ran, we ran and we lived in hiding. So when I say witness protection program, y'all know, look, I'm serious. I can get that shit done quick. We lived in hiding for years under assumed names for years. And so this just connected with me like, oh, that is what I do when I've always felt like this is what I do to make myself safe. I run. And so being able to rewire myself to being present in this moment and being safe in this moment, I've never really thought about teaching myself to be safe in the, this moment. Cause I've been safe for how many years now? 
I've made made it very, very simple for me to be safe as an, an adult. I live a very simple drama-free life in order to do that. And yet, and still so many times I want to run. So there's something going on in my nervous yeah, system. Of course there I is. I think that's what it all goes back to. Yeah. And it makes so much sense as well, you know, hearing that story that that's why you, you know, have this sort of fear of, you know, submission with men because you don't want to put yourself in that situation. And the thing is as well, once you get to a place of safety in your body, you don't need to look for things like red flags because you can trust what your body is telling you. Mm -hmm. Because right now, you know, when there are certain things that happen, your body will go, oh, you know, send send off an alarm for particular, particular types of behavior. And, you know, I, when, when my clients talk about, you know, red flags for people that are emotionally unavailable, I prefer not to look at red flags. The reason being is when you're looking for a red flag, you are being hypervigilant and you're looking for danger. And that's automatically putting your nervous system in a sense of like mm-hmm. fight, flight, hypervigilance, looking aware, danger. Whereas when we really tune into our own safety and we feel safe, what we will notice, and this is why I was asking you questions at the beginning, like around, do you adapt or do you, you know, do you change certain behaviors about yourself? Once you become aware of where your sense of safety is and, oh, hang on a minute, I notice that I'm changing this part of myself and you get curious about that. Notice the interactions that you have with that person and why you might be doing that. Then you coming from a place of listening to your body rather than always being hypervigilant of what might happen and, you know, keeping yourself in that stress yeah. state. Looking, looking for the exit. All the time. And, you know, yeah. the thing is, since you ran as a child and you've always had to hide, there's probably a very large part of your nervous system that's still running and hiding and you're always on alert, you know, looking out for the danger. Whereas when, you, when you're able to drop into, you know, real, real safety, you won't be running and you won't be hiding, but you will yeah. notice when something makes you feel uncomfortable and you can get curious about that and notice, is that like a pattern of mine or is that something that the person's done that's created this sort of almost alarm? Okay, I need to pay attention here. You know, there's something that's not quite right. You know, the fact that I needed to change the person that I am, the fact that I've had to step into my alpha female mm-hmm. means that, you know, there's something that I need to explore here. And rather than then reacting and and running or being that alpha female, you know, taking a moment just to pause and just go, okay, let me just explore this for a moment and see what's coming up, see what the thoughts are and whether it's something that's, you know, true to my intuition or true to my trauma. And it's about understanding the difference between the two. Well, here's the beautiful thing that as you talk about this, being the way that I think through this and handle it in those moments, I feel myself centered and I feel myself feeling peace when you talk about it. And, and so thank you for that. That's a gift. That's a gift. And I can't believe how much time has already flown by. This has been an incredible conversation for me, at least Shelby. I don't know if you got shit out of it, but it was good for me. No, I've definitely learned so much, Carla. You have just brought such energy and experience to the conversation and we've just loved every second. And I, I would love to invite you back because I know we have a lot more to unpack that we didn't (laughs) even get to touch upon today. So because you were healed because you were healing me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate your vulnerability, Trinity, because I think, you know, when we can talk about real life experiences and someone's willing to really fully explore their own journey, you know, it makes it so much easier for people to relate and to go, oh, those aha moments, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for sharing such a, a huge part of your heart to us. Yes. Always. Yeah. And so, Carla, where can they find you? Where can they tap into some of your resources? Um, so I have a website, so www.carlacrivaro.com. I do have a Instagram social media, but because I also talk about sex quite a lot as well. Social media. We like, we like to talk about sex. Yeah. We'll definitely have you back now. You didn't yeah, give exactly. us a shameless plug. <laughs> Social media, unfortunately, isn't so keen for me to talk about that. So I have the account, but it's not massively used. It's mainly used to show where I've been, um, I guess, on podcasts more than anything, actually. So um, 
so that's the dot sexuality dot sanctuary but um yeah my website's the best place just because I've got lots of articles around attachment boundaries and you know um things around creating safety in your body all of those different elements so we can get more resources there Wonderful. We'll make sure it's all in the show notes and we'll be sure to have you back. So thank, thank you, you so much for your time you, today. Carla. It's just been so lovely. Thank you, Shelby and Trinity. I really love that conversation with Carla Cravaro. Trinity. Oh, it was so good. You really opened up and shared so yeah. much about yourself and you know, I love the idea of exploring our attachment styles. It's a theme that I've been feeling a lot yeah. in my life lately as I'm out there on the dating scene. And one <laughs> of the things that Carla said that really stood out to me is that you're never actually really fully 100% secure. You just get to a place where you're actually able to manage your own nervous system in a better mm -hmm. way. And I think I found that as the perfectionist who's always striving for the 100% right. to be refreshing information. Yes, there is no A on this test, Shelby. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, this idea around intentions and learning to be very specific and very clear about your intentions with a partner is so critical. And as I look back on my marriage, I can see so many places where there was opportunity for me to lean in there and for him to lean in there. And you never know. I mean, things could have been different. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really all about communication and especially when it appears that opposite attachment styles tend to attract one another. Yes. And so I think that's so important. A lot of women too, I found it interesting. Um, one of the just things that she said to me, because it really embodied who I am, is that a lot of women assume this role of caretaker mm -hmm. because it helps us feel needed, mm. but it can be disempowering as well. And it can cause us to lose our own identity. And I feel like she said this in relation to this sort of attachment style of anxious yeah. attachment style. We're always doing and taking care of other people's needs. Yes. And then we tend to lose sight of our own needs. Yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. I see this in myself over and over and over in different ways. And so one of these things that she spoke to as well was this idea of getting into a practice of listening to your body rather than looking around for red flags. And ladies, we have to trust our bodies more. We have mm -hmm. to trust that our bodies are letting us know our path. They will point the way for us if we stop and we listen. And when we have that true sense of security and when you trust yourself, you can stop running and you can actually get curious about your feelings. And that's going to open up a whole new world for you. Just like I'm seeing with me as I'm starting to dig more and more into these practices. Yeah, I love that you said it over and over again. Let your body be your compass, your emotions be your compass. And I love that. And to our listener out there who's really resonating with the conversation today, again, we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review. If you feel inclined, join our Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Mm -hmm. And we want you to be part of the conversation. Thank you so much for your time today.